This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Sarah Ray Lancaster, arts and entertainment editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Sarah? It's going really well. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, You recently had the opportunity to sit down and chat with a name that I'm sure everyone is familiar with, including myself, obviously, Garrison Keillor. I did, yes. Now, I, I know, of course I know who he is, but who is he? So Garrison Keillor is a humorist, an author. Most people know him from A Prairie Home Companion, which was a radio program that aired for decades. And if you have lived in the Minnesota area for any extent of time, you definitely know who Garrison Keillor is because that's where the program hailed from and where the fictional town that he's probably most well known for, Lake Wobegon, hails from. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up in Minnesota, so of course I... I surely know who this man is. Um, I, I was reading your intro piece in The Pulse this week about Garrison Keillor, kind of a Q&A that you had with him. But uh, you had mentioned that you kind of grew up listening to him, and he was your substitute for Saturday morning cartoons. Well, not not as a kid. Not as a kid. I was in my young adult years going to school in Minnesota and being a creative writing minor. I had a few professors that wove a lot of um, public radio into our assignments and classes. So for storytelling in particular, we were tasked with listening to This American Life. We were tasked with listening to A Prairie Home Companion and just getting a feel for not only writing for radio per se and the elements of a story, but just also the difference between writing for the page and writing for the stage, which is really where I took the conversation with Garrison Keillor of how does he change his craft? How does he flip back and forth? Because he he writes a lot of books as well, and yet he'll go on the road and do tours. And at that point, now he's writing for performance. Got it. See, when I read that, I had I had thought that you were young listening to this man on the radio, <laughs> and I had assumed that you were a, a weird nerd like my wife who grew up reading Emily Dickinson and Edgar Allan Poe, and that was kind of her favorite stuff when she was, you know, six, seven, eight. Okay. Well, to be fair, I did get up and watch the morning news from about age six on. And I think my parents had some concerns about that, but you know, it led to this career. So it all worked out. I knew it. I knew you were a nerd. Why couldn't you just read comic books like everybody else? So all that being said, am I a bad Minnesotan if I don't know who Garrison Keillor is? You're playing it off really well. Like you do. I, I know. I, 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 there, I was, there was a little, there was a little hint of like maybe too much in yeah, Rachel, edit this out. <laughs> no, don't. I'm, keep this in because here's the thing: if you if you uh, if you feel like a bad Minnesotan now, like I do, listen to the interview with Garrison Keillor. <laughs> That's the segue. Are we really leaving this in? Yes, of course. Oh boy. Because I, you know what? I'm willing to admit it. I don't know who this man is, but I'm going to listen to your interview with How him. How did you grow up in Minnesota and never hear of a Prairie Home Companion or Garrison Keillor? That's a good question. Wow. I mean, and I was even on like. And he teased me about this when he asked me where I went to school that I didn't fully commit to Minnesota because I went to school right on the state line at Winona State University. I mean, I could run from my house across the river and be back in Wisconsin. Yeah, I. Uh, he was on the radio? <laughs> Public radio. So okay. I guess I am a nerd. No. <laughs> well, see, that's probably where it is because 
my only uh, my only exposure to the radio would have been in the car with my dad, and he was listening to KQ ninety two. Well, there you go. So there not very go. cultured. Well, and, and to be fair, I didn't listen to public radio until I got to college and I went to Winona State. So I guess that's where, where that all started. All right. Well, whether you are a lifelong diehard Keeler fan or just learning about the man right now, up ahead of his performance at Door Community Auditorium, then uh, I hope you all enjoy listening to Sarah's interview with the man, the myth, the legend, Minnesota famous Garrison Keeler coming up next. Thank you so much for taking the time out of a busy tour schedule to to talk with me. I'm I'm very excited about this. So you're on tour, which it sounds is it going well? Are are you having a good time? Tell me a little bit about what the tours looked like so far. Well, we did the big show, Fairy Home Companion, on Sunday night, and um, then I'll do a few little shows, just um, Prudence Johnson and uh, and Dan Chenard and myself and. Um, I think that's the Fish Creek show. It is, yeah, yes. And um, I don't know, there's something in Ohio, Indi- uh, Kent, Ohio, and uh, Indiana. I think something in Illinois. Okay. Just a, a few shows to, you know, stay stay warmed up and stay in shape. Absolutely. And um, then um, I go to um, the Mayo Clinic and have a heart valve replaced. And then in um, October, I get back to work again. Right back at it. Wow. So uh, I'm curious then, how how do you prepare yourself for for just that type of a run where you are? You're doing a lot of traveling, you're you're visiting a lot of cities, you're trying to keep material fresh. Like what what does that look like for you as you're preparing for a show, but even even on the road? The material keeps changing as you go. You learn by doing a story. You learn where you how you want to develop it. So uh, everything keeps everything keeps changing. One thing that doesn't change is um, that I always want to sing with an audience. For some reason, my audiences love doing this. They don't expect to do it, but they love doing it. And in Nashville, I had them all stand. It was our singing intermission. And... Because it was down south, I knew that they would know hymns, and it was very moving to people to sing a cappella and to sing Nearer My God to Thee, Abide With Me, Fast Falls the Eventide, It Is Well With My Soul, How Great Thou Art. And we did um, My Country Tis of Thee, and we did Mark the Beautiful, and, um, and then I tossed in a a Beatles song. I saw her standing there. That's always fun. Yeah. And uh, I could have done the national anthem, but we were out of time. But they loved singing together, and they sang in harmony. And it was very meaningful without having to say anything, without, you know, having to preach about this, that despite all of our differences, we do have a great deal in common. And it might be good to focus on on that rather than, you know, focus on things that make us angry sure. at each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just a very simple thing, but it was a useful, a useful thing. I mean, Tennessee is a red state. Nashville is sort of a blue uh, city, but, but there were plenty of both 
people, both sorts of people there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and just doing that simple thing, I felt that this was a public service. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And I, I'm thinking back now to a few of your shows that I've attended in the past, and I can recall singing Amazing Grace at one of them. And there was just something really special about that moment of what I noticed in particular, too, maybe in addition to any political differences among the audience, just even the age demographic and the range that I saw there and how interesting and wonderful it was to see people who may be my grandparents' age, but then people who are also my husband's and my age, and then even families that brought, you know, maybe their kids that were in their tweens and teenage years there, and just how special that was to see everybody together. And I like that about your shows and how it it draws that, it seems. I hope it's true. I hope it does. I don't know any way to advertise, you know, to, to draw that that variety of people. But it's but it's wonderful to see. And of course, once they are there in the seats in front of you, you want to try to hold their attention. And I think you do that by telling stories mm-hmm. rather than. I mean, you can do a certain amount of stand-up comedy. But stand-up comedy tends to be rather age-specific and generational. And the things that make people in their 70s laugh are likely not going to affect people in their 20s. It's just there's, there are two different things going on. Mm-hmm. But a story, you know, in which there was a beginning and a middle and an end, and in which there are some surprises, which is also comic, I think is is the way that you can appeal to a very broad group of people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Prudence and I stand up and we sing duets, we sing love songs, and, and they are a variety in, in themselves. There's a Tom White song that we like to do called uh, Picture in a Frame, and um, Bob Dylan, Love song, I'll be your baby tonight, and you know this, that, and the other thing. I do a few limericks and uh, some sonnets, and uh, somehow it makes a show. It seems like it. Well, and I was looking at the description that Door Community Auditorium had on their website about the show, and it mentioned that the evening was tied together by the thread of the beauty in growing old. And I was just curious, you know, maybe what inspired that theme, and what you hope audiences take away from that audiences of of all ages well it's just my own feeling i turn 80 in one month and 80 is an age that um, i used to dread you know <laughs> when i'm your age and and long after and um but but you but you come up to it and you realize first you have to be lucky you have to have chosen the right parents, you know, and the right genetics. And you have to be lucky in other ways. But there's a, a great beauty in coming to an age where your ambition, your big ideas for the future have dissipated. I mean, what's your ambition when you're, when you're 80? Everything is about today. So it all comes down to today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. And life becomes very small, which it has for many people during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. An enormous change. And many people are depressed by this. 
I happen not to be. I'm a writer. I'm still busy. I have a lot of projects, unfinished projects that I'm working on. So every morning I get up and I go to work. Mm -hmm. I live with my wife. And after a couple of other attempts, I finally married my best friend, as it turns out. And so the effect of the pandemic and the isolation and living in a bubble is that it brings the two of you together. Mm-hmm. We're very different people. She, uh, she is a hiker. She's a walker. She gets out and she walks six, seven, eight miles a day. I sit at a computer and, uh, and I write. And then we have time together and uh, we watch baseball together and uh, we play Scrabble and we sit and we talk. And uh, it's a very good life. Now I go out on the road and I, and I do shows. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Some of Door County's best stargazing happens indoors. Every year at Door Community Auditorium, we present a star-studded lineup of concerts featuring artists like Brandi Carlisle, The Lumineers, Jason Isbell, Mavis Staples, Billy Strings, Beach Boys, and Buddy Guy. You're now listening to Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives returning to our stage in Fish Creek, October 22nd. Visit dcauditorium.org for a full calendar of upcoming events and to get your tickets today. I want to circle back to just the writing process for you. Like you said, the pandemic offered a lot of time for you to just continue moving forward with your projects and things that you have in the works. And I have a few questions about that. But I'm also curious, given the fact that you write for the page and you write books and you write for performing and live storytelling, how do you adjust your craft? Well, you write for performance. First of all, you're writing in a narrative style that has to hold the audience. And you have to be aware of that, that the audience has a short attention span, not a short attention span, but their patience is limited. And and you can easily lose their concentration. And so you're writing in a more dramatic style, whereas writing for print you know, people people can go along with you for a while, and you can you can you can write in a in a different voice. You can also you know create a sort of a puzzle on the page that the people will uh, enjoy dealing with. Uh, you can be a little more mysterious than if you're writing for for performance. I'm working on a well. I I I like writing for the page because. Um, because it, I, I don't know that's that's I grew up hanging out in libraries when I was a little kid, and so books are always sort of supreme in my mind. I never intended to be a 
performer, to be a comedian, but, but you know, it's something you can learn to do. So uh, writing books is, is what I'm primarily interested in. To me, a book is your message to the future, and you have hopes that a book will last over, you know, a long time after you're gone. You may not be right about that, but you won't know that you're wrong. <laughs> and, and so, you, you know, you have this, this hope. I've been working on a, a little memoir. I wrote a, a full memoir a year and a half ago called That Time of Year. I'm writing another one in which taking the advantage of being at this point in life, you look back at your life and some pieces of it, some little pieces of it, are terribly clear. Others, whole years are just a blur. And there was so much going on, and you can't remember. But certain little episodes are beautifully clear. And you realize that something happened that day, something happened in which your life ever so slightly changed course. And it may have been something a teacher said. It may have been something that I did. I remember a day when I was four years old and I stole money from my mother's change jar in the kitchen. We were living in South Minneapolis. I intended to go ride the streetcar downtown to go to the library. And instead, I walked down to the main street, 38th Street, and a man opened a door to a luncheonette, and I walked in, a little tiny cafe, and I sat at the counter, a four-year-old boy, <laughs> and I ordered a cheeseburger, and just as the man brought it to me, I felt a hand on my shoulder, <laughs> and it was my father, and he took me back home, and he told me what a terrible thing I had done. And my mother told him that he should whip me with a yardstick, but my father couldn't bring himself to do it. So I simply was sent to my room, which I loved. And so, you know, there was no punishment at all to go to my room. <laughs> my, my books were there. And the next day at church, I went to a very strict fundamentalist church. My aunts were there, and they had heard this story, and they thought it was funny, and they laughed at what I had done, and they wanted to hear my side of the story. Hmm. It was an amazing thing to happen to a little fundamentalist kid mm -hmm. to have stolen something and made my mother and father angry but my aunts considered it to be comical. Mm -hmm. And so you got an idea about comedy, about the nature of comedy. It's about crossing a line, but not crossing too far. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I remember this. And when I write it down, I can remember what people said to me. When I was four years old. Are you somebody that you keep a diary and notes of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis to go back to for writing inspiration? Or are you more of kind of what you just did? Just 
just thinking back, taking that moment to reminisce and then gleaning those moments that pop into your mind very fresh and vivid? I've never kept a journal. I, I never I never did, ever. I, um, I don't know why. I don't know anybody else who does. I know people who've tried, but it, um, I think it takes a greater sense of self-importance than any than any Minnesotan would have. <laughs> where where do you draw the inspiration from for those stories that make them relatable? I I draw them from uh, talking to my relatives. I hope my relatives don't find out how much I do draw from talking to them. <laughs> but they, um, I have a, a good many relatives who are country people. They grew up out in the country and they found a way to exist out there, even though you know, farming is not what it used to be. So I, I talk to them regularly. As we wrap up this conversation, I'm, I'm curious, what advice do you have, not only for writers, but um, creatives in general? It's always good to be in some contact, some group of people doing similar things. And whether or not you show your work to others or not is entirely up to you. And some people absolutely never do. I do often show my work to fellow writers and, um, you know, and hope to get an honest take on it. But it's good to, to know people who are somehow allied with you mm-hmm. and, and feel this social sense, feel that, feel that you there's some commonality of purpose. Because in writing, I think maybe in other creative enterprises too, you are doing it for yourself. You are the one who needs to be pleased before you can offer it to others. And so it's a lonely line of work, and and loneliness is a, is a difficult road. You really need to have friends. I really believe that friendship is what it's all about, what it's always been about. And, um, you know, your, your, your relative, your family is your family, but you need people in your life to whom you can um, pour your heart out and tell the truth. Anything else you want to say about the, the upcoming show at Door Community Auditorium? I'm just looking forward to it. And um, I believe it's the last in a series of five okay. that I'm doing. So I'm looking forward to it. And I will uh, head off to have a birthday party. All right. Well, happy birthday in advance, and um, I, I hope to I hope to take in the show that night and and see it for myself. And just thank you, thank you for taking the time to to talk with me. This was a fun conversation, just about writing and and life and and what you've been up to. So I, I truly appreciate the time. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. <laughs>